This is an ABC podcast. I suffered extreme levels of anxiety, panic attacks, aches, pains, headaches, neck tension, to chronic fatigue, to developing anxiety. I also found that I was suffering lower self-esteem. I I lost sleep. I would vomit before going to work. I'm not a crier at work generally, but um, this one did have me quite upset. Bullying is what we call a threat stressor. It's not something that we can see as an adaptive challenge. It's not something that we can kind of draw on our resilience to work harder and faster and solve. Each night I would get home and retrace my steps and sometimes he would ring me at night and early morning. So I never felt there was a a break from the torment I was experiencing. Things I noticed, I would get short with other people. I would have to just take a breath. I was smoking at the time, so I did smoke a a lot more (laughs) during, during the worst parts of this. It actually undermines our sense of self in in our work environment. And that's why it has just such erosive effects. Everything from how we're thinking and feeling right through to how our bodies are functioning. This gets worse and worse as the bullying exposure continues over time. It's really depleting to energy. And eventually, many people exposed to bullying end up just leaving the work environment because that's the only solution that they think they can find. And that's a really unfortunate situation for them to end up in. It's a complex and insidious problem at work that one in 10 of us in Australia experience at some stage in our careers, a problem that many of you got in touch with us about. I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Working Life, workplace bullying, the organisational structures behind bullying itself, and how many of us might be unwilling bystanders. Michelle Tucky is a professor of organisational psychology at the University of South Australia. She has researched bullying extensively, including in the prison system and retail. Michelle, we all might have different experiences and definitions of workplace bullying, but what exactly is it? It's a really severe interpersonal stressor. And if we look to Safe Work Australia's definition, they define it as repeated exposure to unreasonable behaviour at work and that creates a risk to the health and safety of the target. And what do you find is the biggest myth when it comes to workplace bullying? That is a great question. The biggest myth is that bullying is an interpersonal or individual problem, you know, that it's the fault of the target or the fault even of the alleged perpetrator. But what the evidence really clearly shows is that bullying is an organisational problem. And what I mean by that is it's the organisational culture. It's the ways of working. These are the things that enable bullying to happen. They're the things that motivate bullying to happen and they are the risk factors that need to be addressed if we really want to effectively stop bullying in organisations. Can you please give us an example so we might better understand what you mean by that? Yeah, for sure. So my own research, that's looked at 342 different real-life complaints of bullying. What we found more than anything else was that Bullying shows up where supervisors and workers interface. So in all these kinds of things that we do to manage our work, guide our work, direct our work, manage team functioning and individual functioning, there are 10 different domains where bullying shows up. So it might be everything from how rosters and schedules are done, how the roles are set, 
and clarified how tasks and workload are allocated right through to how underperformance is managed. And as I said, right through to how the team is coordinated. So when supervisors um, or other people in a coordinating role, when they don't operate really effectively and reasonably in those spaces, then workers can feel bullied. And so it really shows up through these ways of working. And that's really good evidence that it's an organisational systems problem. It's kind of surprising and shocking to hear that it's this supervisor relationship when generally you'd think that they'd be the ones with your hopefully best interests at heart. Yeah, absolutely. And we all hope that when we have a good relationship with our supervisors, it makes our work life go really well. And in bullying situations, we have the exact opposite. But, you know, it's really important to think about where the supervisor sits in this organisational problem. So there's just been one study of this, actually, that that interviewed supervisors who'd been accused of bullying. um, And they all thought they'd use some unreasonable behaviours. It's really hard to work in a high pressure environment without using some, you know, setting some unreasonable deadlines or things like that. But what they really talked about is the same kind of stresses that workers who are bullied face. So they talked about having unclear roles themselves. They talked about being put in a position where, you know, they have to pass down organisational ways of working. They have to meet the objectives of the organisation. They're really the meat in the sandwich or they're at that pinch point in a really stressful organisational system. So it's not as simple to say, oh, you know, supervisors have the problem. So we can't locate it with supervisors either, just as we don't want to locate it with the target. And so we've really got to consider the organisational system as a whole and what the pressure points are at the different layers. And we have to tackle it in that kind of holistic way. So, Michelle, what are some of the common early warning signs? People might think it's the sort of interpersonal behaviours such as offensive names or rumour spreading or things like that. Sometimes that happens in the workplace. But in our research, we always see it show up in ways of working. It might be things like being left off of emails or excluded from meetings. It might be having overly critical comments on your performance in a regular and consistent way. It could be given tasks or shifts or the the working hours that are less favourable. It might be a combination of all of those things. So bullying is really characterised by this repeated exposure to all of those types of behaviours. So I would say trust your intuition. If things are just feeling wrong in a number of those different domains, you need to step back and think, okay, what's going on here? And like I said, it's an organisational problem. So we need to think about what kinds of factors in the organisational environment are enabling this and, and try to tackle it in that way. Seems like it's hard to know when it tips over from just being a, you know, a tough and exacting working environment, which is, you know, a challenge to actually this is systemic bullying here. I agree. Um, it's a real grey area and that makes it a challenge both to prevent it, it makes it a challenge in the legal space to deal with it. So just because it's, it's really grey, the same behaviour can be okay for some people and not for others and it might be really dependent on the work environment. So where do you draw that line between, you know, a high-pressure work environment and, and bullying? A high-pressure work environment might show up more equitably, I guess, or across all people. Bullying tends to be targeted, you know, at just one or two or a few people. So there's that real where it shows up for some people and not others based on their characteristics or their situation, whereas a high-pressure work environment, we're still that's not something to aim for, but it's actually more across the board. And that's one of the problems with bullying. You know, most organisations now, they have a bullying policy. It's great. It sends the signal that this is behaviour that we don't want in our organisations. It's really not okay around here. 
But what gets lost is the translation. What does that actually look like in our local areas? Yeah, for sure, we've got a bullying policy. But if managers aren't having those conversations with their teams that kind of translate that policy into what it really means for their particular type of work, for their particular work environment, then we miss that gap. And conversely, if managers are willing to do that, if they're willing to have those conversations, actually explicitly think about and talk about, you know, what good behaviour looks like, what bullying behaviour looks like, then that's one way of reducing that grey area and getting more clarity. Does our age have anything to do with whether we're more or less vulnerable to being bullied at work? That's a really good question and it's one that I get often. The answer is that it's really complex. So if we look at our reliable data from, you know, a representative sample across Australia, we see that there's very little straightforward effective age. It's not the case that older workers or younger workers tend to be more exposed to bullying. We see a slight effect that if uh, workers are exposed to bullying, older workers tend to be exposed more frequently than younger workers. But there's really not strong evidence that age by itself is a factor. So what I think is going on here is that age is kind of intersecting with other aspects of the work environment. So go back to the idea that bullying is an organisational problem. We need to think about the type of work that's going on. We need to think about the work culture that's going on. So how is age playing a role there? And it might actually go in two different directions, depending on, you know, the nature of the work, the organisational environment, the culture. So we think about surgery, for example. Um, there's been a lot of media attention over recent years to the workplace bullying, discrimination and harassment in surgery. And there we might see age be more associated with being a perpetrator of those kind of behaviours because as you become a surgeon and you get more experience, you can become higher in the ranks. And then there has been a culture in surgery of passing down those ways of working, of, of being mentally tough and having to work long hours and meet really high standards. That tends to flow through in that culture and create the experience um, of bullying for trainees surgeons. In other cultures, it might be the opposite. Older workers might find that they don't have a certain set of expertise or skills that's really becoming valuable in the work environment. So they're, um, you know, a lower position of power that makes them more vulnerable to bullying. So we can't really look across across the research, which is in all sorts of contexts and all sorts of environments. We really have to go to the particular work environment and culture to get a good understanding of how age might play a role. And so it would require going to the evidence base within a particular industry and require doing a bit of a deeper dive. You know, a lot of the studies that we have in this area, they're just doing a survey across many, many workers, sometimes up to thousands. And so it's really masking those complex effects. But if we can look to, you know, more interview studies or to personal accounts and case studies, we can actually get a better understanding of just what's going on. And that's just really important to prevent it. So doing that deeper dive, really getting underneath all of those trends that, that we might see at a very high level we can learn a lot from that regarding how to prevent it. I'm Jessica Hickman and I'm the founder of Bullyology. So my journey to creating Bullyology started when I arrived in Australia in 2013. And my role was to work for a subcontractor company and look after the HR department. But six months into my role, I had a new uh, HR manager and my life drastically changed. But things were really toxic early on and I remember him pulling me into the room and saying I'm the leader here now and it's my way or the highway and if you don't like the way I operate I can bring in my people. 
So for me this was really confronting because I was on a visa. So he made me understand and know that the company ideally owned the key to my future. So it was very um, dominant and submissive type. Young girl just wanted to please, okay, okay, what do we need to do? But early on I realized that some of the things he was doing was very unethical. So we started off with subtle tasks that were you know, unrealistic in time frames, to trying to set me up for success, to trying to make me look and feel incompetent. But really, uh, the more successful I became, the more it angered him. So it was unrealistic work tests, threats about job loss, backhanded comments, publicly berating me, attacking my appearance. And the bullying really upped his ante and at the peak it was where he threw a folder and it hit me in the face. And sometimes I would, you know, try to be strong and challenge back to understand what I've done. And he would stand over me this one time with his fists clenched and I was cowering in the office with him stood above me. Hi, I'm Neil Gardner. I'm a consultant and I was working in the manufacturing industry when I had a bullying experience at work. Some of the behaviours I noticed were um, verbal abuse, being avoided when things were kind of getting a bit rough. In the middle of a big project, there's a lot that goes on, but it's copying the blame for things that were completely outside my sphere of control. Being nice in public but quite angry in private was another one as well. So it was kind of being kept out of the line of sight of most people, but I definitely felt it. So started just making notes and, and then trying to find steps to work out if it was a pattern, um, and it was. Each night I would get home and retrace my steps, and sometimes he would ring me at night and early morning. So I never felt there was a, a break from the torment I was experiencing. Uh, I lost sleep. I would vomit before going to work and it came in waves. The things I noticed, I would get short with other people. I would have to just take a breath. I was smoking at the time, so I did smoke a lot more during, during the worst parts of this. I'm not a crier at work generally, but um, this one did have me quite upset. I'm Therese Linton and I'm a project delivery professional. I've been working for 38 years and I've had three major bullying incidents during that time. Overall, during those three bullying incidents, I suffered extreme levels of anxiety, panic attacks. I did start to drink more, which I was able to get under control. I also found that I was suffering lower self-esteem. So I was less confident when applying for new roles in the future and I also put on stress-related weight. I have received some psychological support that I've paid for myself and mostly I have drawn on the support of really close friends and colleagues. There's really strong evidence from real-life cases but also across the international research literature that bullying has such a terrible effect on targets but also on organisations. So the health of targets is really impacted, both their mental health in particular but also their physical health, everything through to sleep quality, to thinking about suicide. That is certainly the most serious consequence, potential consequence of bullying. 
And the way that bullying has its effect is, is by really eroding their energy, but also creating the idea that they don't have a valid place to belong in the organisation, really forcing people to question whether or not they're a valued member of that organisational community. And that's why it has just such terrible effects. It affects everyone in the team. So there's more likely to be absenteeism. There's more likely to be people showing up to work, even though they're not 100%. So that's what we call presenteeism, showing up to do their work when they're not fully fit to work. There's a, a decrease in morale. There's an increase in just other types of conflicts in teams. And so overall, the bottom line in terms of productivity is really threatened as well. So organisations need to pay attention to this. It's not just the individual workers that are affected. It's the whole team environment and, and the potential for really good outcomes for the organisation that gets undermined as well. Michelle, you've designed a risk audit tool to address workplace bullying. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. So we identified 10 different risk areas where bullying is more likely to show up in organisations. So we would call these the root causes of bullying in organisations. That's everything from, you know, how rosters and working hours are coordinated, how performance is managed right through from having really clear roles right through to managing underperformance and then the general work environment. Is it physically safe? Is it a mentally healthy work environment? And are there good team relationships? So we developed a way of assessing these more objectively at the work unit level. So not at the individual level, but at the level of teams. And so that gives us a diagnostic report, really. What are these organisational factors that we need to change? If we're going to do something about bullying, where should we put our energy and our effort? And so we did a lot of validation of this tool. And we found out, for example, in hospitals, that when we use the risk audit tool, it actually shows up where are the risky awards to work? Where are the ones where there's more worker injuries, where there's even more patient-related safety errors. You know, it's kind of diagnosing where the unhealthy spots of the organisation are. And then that gives us a really good way of pinpointing where we need to put our energies and efforts to do really good prevention. So a really nice example is some work I've done in the correctional services setting. So I worked at a jail um, in New South Wales. We came in and we did a survey with our risk audit tool looking at 10 different organisational causes of bullying. We went to the staff and managers and we shared with them that data and then tried to build up an understanding of, of what was going on. So that described a situation where, you know, poor performance was just ignored over a long time. People could get away with any sorts of um, behaviour and that was creating the kind of toxic feel in work environment. But at the same time, there just wasn't enough recognition of good work that was being done. Any feedback that came was really negative and critical, again, just feeding into that negative environment. And for those really strong performers doing that really difficult job, there wasn't any training or ongoing career progression opportunities for them. So this kind of created the melting pot for bullying behaviour to flourish. But you can see these are all organisational challenges that need to be solved. And so after unpacking that situation, the question of who's doing the bullying or who's getting bullied kind of disappeared and we actually focused right on those building blocks of creating a healthy work environment and they came up with some great strategies everything from recognizing promotions and good outcomes on parade in the morning right through to a leadership training program um, over two years to really develop those really skilled performers and so we move away from the bullying behavior itself that's just the tip of the iceberg and we go right down to the bottom of the iceberg and work on those underlying fundamental factors that create that healthy work environment. I'm a young girl trying to do the best I can 
and why isn't anyone helping me? And that's when I realised the thing called the bystander effect. Now, one thing that came up when we spoke to people about their experiences was what we call the bystander effect. Can you quickly explain what it is when it comes to workplace bullying, Michelle? Yeah, in the bullying context, the bystander effect would um, show up when co-workers see someone being exposed to bullying behaviour, but they're less likely to step in uh, because there's other people around or in particular because they might fear the costs to themselves of actually you know, putting their hand up or doing something about it. Let's listen now to some personal experiences of this. First is Jessica Hickman. And I realised that my bullying had become such the norm, the toxic culture of fear, that people were fatigued, but also didn't know how to report it because upper management were diffusing responsibility. So what were they meant to do? And Neil Gardner also felt that there were people witnessing the bad behaviour but didn't act on it. That was maybe the hardest part. It was, it was a known thing that this man was a bully. And part of that is that the project was so big it couldn't fail. So it, it was a known thing, but no one felt that saying anything would do much about it, which also made reporting it harder. But you can't be a bystander to it, but you really have to be careful in the way you go about supporting a person who you think is being bullied as well so it doesn't become gossipy. In her work, Jessica Hickman has found that people fall into three bystander zones. The first one is unconscious. So really, they're so consumed by their day-to-day that they don't actually know the behaviour is going on or they don't know it's wrong. It's the status quo. And the second bystander zone is uncomfortable. And I always say, if it feels wrong in your gut and you have, it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, usually it's the wrong thing. And then the third bystander zone where I see, unfortunately, a lot of leaders sitting in, is called the avoidance zone, where bullying and harassment becomes too hard. It's the elephant in the room and it's swept under the carpet. Michelle, what are your thoughts after hearing those experiences and observations? For bystanders or for people exposed to bullying to actually put their hand up and report it, they need a couple of things to be in place in the organisational system. They need to feel safe to report it and they need, in parallel with that, to believe that meaningful action will be taken in order to stop the bullying. And if those two conditions aren't there, then there's almost no way people are going to put their hand up and actually brave the potential consequences to them and their careers of speaking out. The other thing that occurred to me as I was listening to Neil talk is that sometimes bullies are protected, so they might be protected. He said the project was so large that it had to keep going, and so that just created such a barrier that got in the way. Sometimes the alleged bullies are just so high profile or high status that they kind of get protected in that sense. They might have a set of skills that's really important to the organisation or to delivering the objectives, and that means that it's really hard to actually tackle their bullying behaviour as an issue. Michelle, look, this is not an easy one, but do you have some tips for proving bullying and getting support? I've heard some practitioners recommend to keep a diary or a notebook of the incidents. I think it's really important to actually make sure they're formally recorded somewhere in the organisation. I did some expert witness work a while ago and one of the challenges there was that although there was a very detailed notebook, Perhaps there wasn't enough evidence in the formal organisational, you know, system. And so from a legal point of view, organisations have a responsibility to provide 
a safe working environment. They have a duty of care to the mental health and well-being of their employees, but they have to know that there's an issue to be solved. Um, and so actually, you know, making sure that you raise it where possible and actually get some formal support means that the organisation is aware of that challenge and they need to, to take some timely action to respond. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks very much. It's great talking to you. As hard as it is to stand up against bullies, it's important that more and more of us are confident enough to do that. It's the only way to draw enough attention to the endemic behaviour that we have in most large organisations because we need to be brave if we're going to stop bullying. This is really tough stuff. So if this episode has raised any concerns for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. And if you need support with workplace bullying, you can get in touch with your state or territory safe work body. This Working Life is produced by Zoe Ferguson. I'm Lisa Leong. And until next time, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.